Praise God again for you this morning. If you'll stand to your feet and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Amen. And the word of the Lord reads, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. Amen. You may be seated. Today I want to talk to you about the temptations. The temptations. Now, some of you, if you, when you hear the word the temptations, your mind may go back. Uh, I know. To that 60s group, right? That started out in the 60s and probably was tempting in and of itself. But I'm not talking about that temptations group, amen? The only thing that our temptations have in common with the singing group, The Temptations, is that it seems like when one temptation leaves, another one comes to take its place. That's what I see in common with The Temptations, still going, and it just seems like that's what we have in common with the singing group. Every man, woman, boy, and girl faces temptations. I don't care if you're young, I don't care if you're old, where you come from, your background, your race, your culture. Every person faces temptations daily, numerous temptations. We face temptations when we turn on the TV, when we turn on our computers. We even face temptations when we go to the grocery store. And even when we come to the church house, we face temptations. So temptations are, are everywhere. And and it's something that we all can agree that we all face temptation. When we're confronted with a temptation, we are at a crossroads. We stand at a crossroads, and that crossroads, uh, at that crossroads we stand, and it determines whether we are going to please God or whether we're going to please ourselves, whether we're going to follow God or whether we're going to follow our own desires. And that period at which we're at the crossroads is usually a very small window. That window is very thin, so we don't have a lot of time to be determining whether we're going to go left or whether we're going to go right. 
whether we're going to follow God or whether we're not going to follow God. Typically, when we have temptations, there's a very small window as to uh, us determining who we're going to follow. And the longer we contemplate that temptation in our mind, the more vulnerable we become to yielding to that temptation, to falling to temptation. If we're going to grow in Christ, we have to learn how to overcome our temptations, to not yield to our temptations. The temptation of Jesus Christ, the temptations that we see in Matthew chapter 4, teaches us a great deal about how to respond to the temptations that we face. And it's important that we really look at this passage and learn how to not yield to temptations. What is it that we can glean from this passage that will help us when we do face temptations? Not if we face them, but when we do face them. Through the temptations that we, that we see in this passage, there are three things that stand out that I want to speak to you today. Uh, three things that we want to touch on. Uh, we want to look at the source of the temptations. We want to look at the purpose of the temptations, specifically the purpose of Jesus' temptations and the method of those temptations. So the source, the purpose, and the methods of the temptations. We want to focus on the, the, the source and the purpose a bit, and then we're going to dive a little bit more and, 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 and deal a little bit closer with the methods of the temptations as we go down through these. And, and as we look at these, I, I think that we'll better understand how to be victorious when we are tempted uh, by Satan or just tempted by ourselves in some way. As we look at temptations, it's first important that we understand what temptation is. What does it mean to be tempted? Uh, temptation, simply put, it's, it's to be enticed to sin. To be enticed to sin. Temptation is not a sin, but it's an enticement to sin. It's kind of that, that event that happens before we fall into sin. So when we, we, we sin, when we yield to, our, to the temptation when we give in to our own desires rather than, than the will of God, is when we sin before God. And as we look at this passage, we, we kind of see this uh, unfold and, and what temptation looks like uh, and what it means to be tempted. For we have here uh, the devil himself tempting Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we see how Jesus Christ responds in the wake of those temptations. And I find some interesting uh, uh, things in this particular passage. First of all, when we look at verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So it says the Holy Spirit led Jesus to be tempted. The Holy Spirit was not passive in this, in this exercise or in this, in, this, in this event. He was active in leading Jesus Christ to the devil to be tempted. Now, I find that interesting that the Holy Spirit is the one who led Jesus Christ to be tempted by the devil. And some of us may, may bring in the question, well, does, God, does that mean that God tempts us? And, we wanna, and that's why we want to focus, first of all, on the source of our temptations so that we clearly understand what it means, who is tempting us, and, and, and to know that, first of all, that although God, the Holy Spirit, led Jesus Christ to be tempted, it's clear that our temptations are from uh, Satan himself, that Satan is the source of our temptations and not God himself. So it's clear that we understand that God does not tempt us. God is not the source of our temptations, 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God has no part in sin. The only part God has in sin is except to free us from the penalty, the power, and eventually the presence of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. As we look at James chapter 1, verse 13, James makes this clear about God not being the tempter of us. And so it says that when, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So although the Holy Spirit was integral in leading Jesus Christ to be tempted by the devil, God was not the one who did the tempting. God does not tempt us, but he does test us. And that's what we see here. The Holy Spirit is testing Jesus Christ, but the, whole, the, the, the devil is the one who's, who's tempting. God tests us. He tests us to prove uh, and develop our faith. Through tests that we go through, it proves that our faith is genuine and it develops perseverance. So it's important that we go through these tests. Just as gold has to go through refinery, our faith has to go through the same. To make, to ensure that that, that faith is genuine when we go through sufferings, when we go through trials, to show that our faith is genuine. Faith is not faith unless it's tested, unless it's been proven. And so faith has to come under fire. It has to be subjected to some trials, some tribulations, some suffering in order to know, is it genuinely faith or is it counterfeit? It's easy to say you have faith when you're not going through something. But when you're going through something and you have to depend on the Lord to see you through, then that's when you know if an individual has faith, when they know they haven't given up, when they fight the good fight of faith, when they stand firm in their faith, regardless of what may come. So we see that God tests us, but he does not tempt us. So when we look at this, the source of our temptations comes from one or two areas. The temptations come from one or two areas. We see that we are tempted from within, first of all, when we are enticed by our own evil desires. So one of the sources of our temptations is from within, and there's a temptation from without. James 1.14 lets us know that the temptations that we face come from within as well. For James, in, in what, the 14th verse, he says, when we are tempted, we are tempted when by our own evil desires we are dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So we're tempted by our own evil desires, by our sinful nature that we have. That desire to please ourselves rather than to please God. And so we see that one of the sources of our temptations comes from within. It comes from me. I like what D.L. Moody said. I love what he said in reference to the temptations from within. He says that when you get up tomorrow morning and look at your face in the mirror, you are seeing your greatest problem. And I believe that. When I wake up in the morning and I look my face in the mirror, I'm looking at my greatest problem contrary to what we think at times. My greatest problem most times is not Satan. My greatest problem most times is not my co-worker or someone else who's been getting on my nerves. My greatest problem most of the time is me. It's me. You can lock me in a house, put me in a remote area, take away all my devices. You can take away the TV, the computer, the all these devices and put me in a remote area and I will still find a way to sin against God 
because of my sinful nature. That was what the monks tried to do, right? They tried to say, go, into a, go into a far remote place and we won't have to face sin, we won't have to look at anything, we won't have to lust at anything. And it was like, I'm still sinning because of the sinful nature. And so we see that we are our greatest problems. But how often do we blame ourselves when we fall into temptation? How often do we blame others? We blame others when we when someone makes us mad and then we lash back at them with a tongue that grieves the Holy Spirit. And then we say, they made me do it. So we get mad at them. We blame others when we don't go to church regularly because the church may have done something to you or something may have happened. There was a bad experience. And we say, I'm not going to go to church on a regular basis. You know, I'm not going to go because of that reason. Or don't serve in a ministry because someone may have said something to you and it rubbed you the wrong way. And you say, I'm not going to serve in that ministry. I'm not going to serve. I'm just going to come to church. And so instead of looking at ourselves and examining our own selves, we look at everyone else and we allow the circumstances and the situations around us to dictate how we respond. And so we say, it's coming from without and not from within. But the Bible tells me that my, my greatest problem is me. My greatest problem is me. All of this starts with us being tempted, and most of the time, those evil desires of our hearts that come from our sinful nature. So, so we see that the source, one of the sources of our temptation comes from within. It comes from me, but it also, we see in this passage that one of our other sources of temptations comes from without. It comes from Satan himself. Satan certainly is going to tempt us. The devil was the source of Jesus' temptation, but the Holy Spirit led him into this temptation. And so when we look at this, we, we see the source, where the source of this temptation comes from. And, and, and if you're like me, you might ask, why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the desert after fasting 40 days and 40 nights? Why would he lead Jesus Christ to be tempted by the devil? And I think there's the scripture gives us a few points, not exactly an exhaustive list, but some things that we can see to know that there are some reasons why it was important for Jesus Christ to be tempted by the devil. It's also important that we understand that this is not the only temptation, of course. There were other temptations, even some that probably were not even recorded, but this particular event was, serves a purpose for us as well. And one of the things that we see, one of the purposes for the temptation, was to reveal that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God that he is the conquering king, that we may know that Jesus Christ, there's something different about this Jesus Christ. Just prior to the temptations, Jesus Christ was baptized. His ministry was just starting. And so this is the beginning of his ministry. And we see that uh, he, the, the Holy Spirit led him to fast, and he had just been baptized by John the, pa John the Baptist, and the voice of God was, was heard in saying that, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately following that declaration, we see that Jesus Christ is led into the desert to be tempted. But more than just God saying that Jesus Christ is his son, God was going to show that Jesus Christ is my son. He's going to prove himself to be faithful. He's going to prove himself to be a conqueror. So the Holy Spirit leads him to be tempted. And however... The outcome of this temptation 
revealed that things would be different than they were when the devil tempted the first Adam. When he tempted the first Adam, you remember the first Adam fell into sin, yielded to sin, and this reveals that this Jesus, this second Adam, this last Adam, is going to be different than the first Adam. So the temptation of the first Adam resulted in death, but the temptations that Jesus Christ was subjected to, led to, uh, resulted in life. In, in life. The 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So we see one of the purposes or the reasons for the temptations, one to reveal that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God, that he is the king, he is the conquering king. One of the things that we also see for the purpose or the reason behind the temptations was so that Jesus Christ could sympathize with our weaknesses. Praise the Lord. Although Jesus was the Son of God, Jesus Christ did not have it easy. He was God himself, but he did not choose to live a life of luxury. And that's what threw many people for a loop. Because they were like, if you are the Son of God, why is it you're living in such lowly places? Why are you not living as we see a king should be living? In a palace somewhere, being catered to. And so that really threw many for a loop, but we see that Jesus Christ suffered and he endured temptations just like we endure temptations. By being fully man, he willingly subjected himself to the same trials and temptations that we experience. Willingly subjected himself to that. He understands what it means to be tired. Jesus Christ understands what it means to be hungry. For he took upon himself a body, a real body. He understands what it means to be thirsty. He understands what it means to not have a home. Jesus Christ understands what it means to be ridiculed, to be shamed, to be innocent, but then to be proven as though you're guilty. He understands what it means to experience suffering, to be alone, to experience death. Jesus Christ understands all these things. And that should help someone here today. Because we're always looking, we want to know, can this God understand what I'm going through? And it's true that Jesus Christ understands what you're going through. He understands. That's why it's so important. You can go to Jesus Christ in prayer. And Jesus Christ understands. He can sympathize with what it is you're going through. He can sympathize with your situation. He can sympathize with your trials and tribulations. It was important for Jesus to go through these things. For Jesus to be a sacrifice for our sins required for him to take upon the body and walk in the same footsteps that we walk and to do it perfectly and to do it without sin. It was important for him to do that. Because Jesus Christ did this, we have a great high priest who can sympathize with us, who is at the right hand of God, interceding for our behalf, who knows what we've been through, and who better to pray for you than someone who's been through the same things that you've gone through. I've heard it said before, you have no, if you have nobody praying for you, the best prayer partner you've got is Jesus Christ. And if you got him, that's the best prayer partner you can have. That's the best prayer partner you can have. Hebrews 4.14 emphasizes the point that Jesus Christ can sympathize with us. For it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. 
that is, a, that is a great encouragement, that we don't serve a God who's far off, who's just removed from what we're going through, who doesn't understand. Most of us would agree that those who are better able to show mercy and to show compassion, to show sympathy, are those who have been through the same thing that you've been through. Go back and look at the things that you've gone through. Typically, you will find that where you have fallen or you've had problems or you've suffered in some kind of way, someone who is experiencing the same thing, you may have the tendency to be more sympathetic to what they're going through. But when we have an experience that we can be the worst person on, on that individual. But if we've gone through it, oh, I understand what they're going through. I'm going to pray for them because I've been there. You've been there. You know that. So you can sympathize with them a little more. You can be a little bit more gracious to them. Some might, try to say, some might try to say, well, he's God. Jesus Christ is God. I mean, he was God. He can't understand what I'm going through. No one can say that to Jesus Christ. No one can say to Jesus Christ, you don't understand. He doesn't give you that option. He removed that option off the table when he came in the flesh and when he suffered and he lived and walked. Jesus Christ endured more trials, more tribulations, and more suffering than you and I will ever experience. So he removed that option off the table and said, you can't say that I don't understand. You might be able to, we might be able to say that to our friends, but we can't say that to Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ may have not experienced exactly everything that you're going through, but again, all the trials, all the sufferings, he experienced enough of that to know what you're going through. He knows what it feels like to be abandoned, to be left by friends, those who were close. He knows what it means. He knows what it means to, to be hurt, uh, to be lonely at times, to feel alone. Uh, he knows these things. And so you can go to him. No one can say that he doesn't understand. Jesus is able to sympathize with us even when we are tempted. He is the God of all comfort, and he's willing and able to comfort you and me in our time of need. So we see a couple other purposes. Again, we see that, first of all, to reveal that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is the conquering king, but secondly, also so that he can sympathize with us. But thirdly, we see that he, the, the, the purpose for the, for the temptations was so that he could help us. It's good to have someone who can sympathize with you, but find me somebody who can help me in my time of need. When things are going tough, when, when trials and tribulations are mounting up on every side around me, find somebody who can help me. And Jesus Christ is able to do that. Because he was victorious over sin, he has the power to help us when we are, when we are in our time of need. When we are at our weakest point, he's able to give us strength. He helps us. Although we still have the sinful nature, we are, we are freed from the power of sin because of the work of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord that he gives us the power. God gives us the power through the Holy Spirit to walk in righteousness and not to fall or to yield into temptation. He's able to help us. The same Holy Spirit that led Jesus Christ into the desert to be tempted by the devil is the same Holy Spirit that enabled him to overcome those temptations. So if Jesus Christ is going to lead you into it, if he's going to lead you into the trial, if he's going to lead you into the suffering, 
or the tribulations that you're going through. He's going to provide a way out. He's going to give you what it takes to endure. He will test you. God will test you. I guarantee he, he will test you. But he will get, give you what it takes to overcome. He will give you what it takes to overcome. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul hits it home. He says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And he says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. He says, God, will, he, will, he, will, he will make a way out. He won't lay so much on you that you, will, that you have to fall. But he will, he will give you the strength. Because Jesus Christ was victorious, he's able to help us in our time of need. So we don't just serve a God who's sympathetic with what we're going through, but he's able to help us. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 11. Again, it speaks to this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I like it. It says, the, the main point, mighty power. Take your stand with the mighty power that God gives you. Where does that mighty power come from? That mighty power comes from the Holy Spirit. Those who are in Christ have access to divine power. Peter said that he has given us everything we need. He has given us divine power so that we may live this life, we may live a life of godliness, a life that glorifies God. We are filled with divine dynamite, and we treat it like a firecracker. Divine dynamite. And we treat it like it's just some small firecracker. And that is the reason why we have so many problems. Many of us say that we don't feel like we have power. We feel powerless uh, when temptations come our way or when a trial comes. I just can't help it. It's the sin just seems so great. I just feel powerless. And a lot of that probably has to do with our ability or us being able to yield to God and give, at what point have we given ourselves to God completely to, to, to be able to exercise the power that God has given us? Are we connected to God? I love what the, the example that A.W. Tozer said about the power and, and how we seem powerless at times for the Holy Spirit. He says that uh, some say they want a Cadillac. Right? He says, some have them, but some want one. But he says, you take somebody like a Brother Jones or somebody, and, and Brother Jones, he would love to have a Cadillac, but he's not willing to buy one. And he says, he's, why is he not willing to buy one? He says, he's not willing to buy one because he's not willing to pay the cost for one. He's not willing to meet the terms that it takes to own that Cadillac. So he settles for his Chevy. And he says, that's the way with many of us. We want to be full of the Holy Spirit, but we don't want what it costs for the Holy Spirit to have all of us. We don't want to give up what it takes to get more of the Holy Spirit. So we settle for less. And then we feel powerless when we are faced with temptations. We feel powerless when we're faced with issues in our life and we feel like we can't press on. Maybe that's because we, we haven't given our all to God in order so he can 
fill us so much with his Holy Spirit that we, we have more of his power to overcome our temptations and our issues that we face. We have to be willing to, to, to give up some things. We have to be willing to pay the cost. Jesus has given us the help we need, but we must abide in him to exercise that power. Our theme for this year, I'm connected. Jesus Christ said, unless you abide in me, you can do no good thing. So we must remain connected to him, abiding in him so that we may have access to that power. So we, we see the, the source of our temptations does not come from God. God tests us, but he does not tempt us. We also see that our temptations usually come from either from within, our own sinful nature, or they come from without. They come from Satan himself. Satan will use the world. There's a lot of temptations in the world, and Satan's just using those to tempt us. And we also see the purposes, some of the purposes behind the temptation, and specifically the temptation Jesus faced, so that we may know that he is the real Jesus. He is the, he is, he is the true God, son of God that he can sympathize with us, but also so that he can help us. But we also, as we come to the passage, we see the methods of the temptations. We see how Satan tempts Jesus Christ, and I think we can learn a lot through this temptation. The passage, the passage reveals to us three methods, three, three primarily methods by which the devil tempts us. He tempts us to our flesh, our pride and our eyes. Our flesh, our pride, and our eyes. They typically all fall under one of those three categories. And if that sounds familiar to you, it is because it comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 16, where it talks about everything that is in the world, the desires of the eyes, the, the lust of the flesh, and the pride, of, pride of, 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 the, of, of what we have in this world. It says it all comes from the world. It doesn't come from the Father. And so... Satan is tempting us. He's going to tempt us in those areas. The interesting point as we look at this, though, is that before we touch on these temptations that Jesus faced, the interesting point is that although the devil tempted Jesus in three different ways, Jesus Christ responded with the same weapon. It didn't change. Jesus, uh, Satan's method changed, but the response of Jesus Christ remained the same. What did he use? He used the word of God in every single instance. And I know some who may not be faithful in studying the word, like, oh, here we go again, talking about the word of God. You can't get around it. The word of God is what was important here in this situation. God is letting us know that regardless of the temptation, we are to use the same thing for each method of the temptation, to rely on the Holy Spirit and to use his word. The word is, is so important here. He said it, if, if we're filled with the spirit and are equipped with the word, we would give the devil more of a fight. If there's one thing that truly discourages me, if there's one thing that truly, if it'll bring me down, is to see how little regard many of us have for the word of God. It really hurts me to see how little regard we have for God's word at times. Uh, because I think we truly undervalue how important God's word is. And what we say about, how we feel about God's word is how we feel about him. And so it really hurts me. If Jesus used nothing but God's word to respond to each temptation, then how much more do we need to use God's word 
when faced with temptation. Jesus Christ was without sin. He didn't have any sin from within, but yet we have the sinful nature. So how much more do we have to rely on God's word when faced with temptation? If we understand the importance of God's word in our lives, we would, we would truly cherish it more. And, and I'm afraid that the greatest temptation that the devil himself has succeeded in is convincing many of us that knowing God's word is not important, that it's optional, that it's overrated. That's what, I, that's what I'm afraid of, that the devil, the one temptation that he has succeeded in in many regards is, 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 is telling us that you don't have to read your word daily. You don't have to be soaked in the word of God. It's not that important. You can do it tomorrow. You know the word, so why even continue to just kind of go through it? You've heard it before. And that's what the devil will do. He will continue to play on you like that, to pull you away from the word of God. If someone is pointing a gun at you, the best thing that can happen is that gun is, doesn't have any bullets in it. And I'm afraid that many of us are pointing a gun at Satan and there are no bullets in it. And guess what? He knows. He knows there ain't no bullets in it because we haven't been studying our word. He knows he sees what we do. And so he says, I, I know you're not in your word. I'm not afraid of you. Yeah, you go to church every Sunday, but you ain't got nothing to, 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 to harm me. So many of us around, you know, talking about the devil, I devil this and devil that, and pointing gun at the devil. He's like, you ain't got no bullets in it. So we must be, we must be armed, loaded with the word of God. That's why it's, it's, it's so important. We, we talk about the memory verse of the month. And it's not just an exercise. We don't want it to do it just to see, say, okay, I know 10 memory verses without looking at the word of God or whatever it is. That's not the point. The point is not intellectual knowledge. It's, it's to soak into your heart so that you can have that word and so that when you need that word, you can go to it. So that when you are having a problem, if someone is tempted and they have a problem with loving somebody else, you may have a problem with loving, especially those that you don't know. And so you need to focus on that 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 13 where it talks about love is patient, love is kind. Is enduring, it, you know, it talks about that stuff. And so you need to get that, that passage about love in you and just meditate on that. And so that when you have a hard time loving, you start to recite that scripture. If you've got a problem with your conversation and talking, you know, kind of be quick to speak and slow to listen type of thing, if you've got a problem with that, you need to look at that Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, where it talks about. He says, let your conversation be full of salt, seasoned with grace, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So you, you, whatever it is you're faced with, whatever temptations you're going through, whatever is a hurdle for you, you get you some scriptures, and don't put it in your back pocket, but put it in your heart. And then when you go through that temptation, you will have the word of God, and you will use it. God testifies to how important his word is. Psalm 119, verse 9, it tells us, it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? It says, by living according to your word. How can I keep my way pure, he says? By living according to your word. Psalm 119, verse 11, he continues on in that. 
says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden it in my heart. And the purpose for hiding it in my heart is so I don't sin against God. So the, 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 the one of the ways we win against the devil's schemes is to use the word of God. But we not only have the word of God as a weapon, but we also, something that we may have not looked at, that fasting was a, a, for a purpose. And that fasting was so that Jesus Christ would, is illustrating and demonstrating how much more dependent he is on the Father. When he's fasting, it may seem like, okay, he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's going to be hungry physically. Yes, that's the case, but he's going to be more connected to God. He says, look, I'll, I'm going to depend on you, God. I'm dependent on you for my strength and, and, to, and to overcome this, this great uh, battle that I'm getting ready to endure. And so it's important for us also not just to have the word of God, but it also to be, to be fasting at times when we're going through temptations. If we got something that we've been struggling with, we need to be willing, and that's a part of giving up some things that we talked about, costing us something, giving up a couple of meals and saying, Lord, I, help me with this that I'm going through. Because you know, if, you're pray, if, if Jesus Christ was fasting, the other thing and the other tool used to help him overcome it was prayer. Fasting and prayer go hand in hand. So it doesn't say prayer, but you know Jesus Christ was praying if he's fasting. And so we got, we got prayer, we got fasting, we got the word of God if we want to overcome our temptations. And so it's important for us to look at that. Uh, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 40, 41, talks about this. Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. That's what Jesus Christ was telling the disciples. He says, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So when we look at this, the methods prior to Jesus Christ even uh, being tempted, he was fasting, certainly was praying, but in addition to that, when he went through each temptation, as we'll see, he used the word of God. He used the same tool to respond to, 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 to the devil. And as we look at this, this first temptation, the first temptation is aimed at our flesh. So when we look at that in verse 2, it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus Christ was, was naturally hungry from the fasting. The fast was, a, 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 again, a test of his dependence on God to provide and to take care of him. The essence of temptation is the invitation to live independently of God. That's what, that's what, that's what temptation is. It's the, it's, the, it's the invitation to live independently of God. And so Jesus Christ said, Lord, I'm going to depend on you. And here comes the devil saying, I'm going to do something. I'm going to try to tempt him in a way that will remove his dependence on God, for, to trust in himself and not to trust in God the Father. So that was Satan's purpose. Just as Satan so often does, he looks at our circumstances, he looks at our situations, and he looks to see where we're vulnerable. So wherever you've got a problem in your life, guess what? That's where Satan's going to hit you. That's what he's going to use. It's kind of like a lion. He talks about, the scripture talks about that, right? Uh, he's like a roaring lion, looking to see who he can, he can devour. He's, he's looking. And just like a lion, you know, it's a lion, even though a lion is powerful, he can take down many things, but he doesn't typically go for the biggest animal. 
He goes for the one that's the weakest or, or, or slowest or whatever it is. He's going after the one who's just kind of straggling along and behind, and he gets him. And so our circumstances and our situations, the Lord may lead us into these particular situations, our trials and our tribulations, to test us. But in the same time, we can be assured that the devil is going to try to use that advantage or use that vulnerability to, to tempt us. Warren Wiersbe, he, he, he says, he says, when we put our physical needs ahead of our spiritual needs, we sin. When we allow circumstances to dictate our actions instead of following God's will, we sin. I love what he said. I mean, and that's so true. When we allow our circumstances and our situations to dictate how we respond, then we sin. And that's what we talked about before. We can't allow for situations or circumstances outside of us to dictate how we're going to respond. I'm responding because this person did this to me. I'm responding that way. And so we must be careful because wherever there's an issue, wherever there's heat, wherever there is a, a, a problem brewing, we know that the devil will try to take advantage of that situation or that circumstance. And some of you, what circumstances are you going through? What issues are in your life? It may be marriage between a husband and a wife. You got some tension, there are some problems going on. You better believe that Satan is going to try to come in between that and he's going to try to work on that particular issue to drive you further apart. He's going to work on that. You may be tempted or enticed to take matters into your own hands and to trust in someone else outside your marriage to fill your needs. And believe me, Satan is going to, he's playing on that. He's orchestrating that. It may be money. Money might be funny, as they say. You might have some problems. And Satan is certainly going to entice you to obtain more money through means that are outside of showing that you depend on God. It may be the lottery. It may be gambling. I don't know what it is. But Satan is going to entice you to depend less on God and to depend more on yourself. And so this temptation seems to be not so serious. You say, okay, Jesus can turn, uh, turn the stone into uh, the bread. We know Jesus can do it because he turned water into wine. He, he did so many different things. We know he can do it, but that's not the point. He says, I'm depending on you, God. I'm not doing things just to, to outside of the will of God. He had the capability, but it wasn't about the capability. He said, I'm dependent on you, God. And that's important for us to recognize. Whatever your circumstance is, again, know that the devil, he's going to use that to entice you to sin. But know that if God brought you to the storm, he will lead you out of the storm if you will just trust in him. Regardless of whether it's marital problems, regardless of whether it's money problems, it may be health problems. Some of us have health issues and and. God may be testing us to see if we are going to remain faithful to him and serve him in the midst of our, our health issues. And the devil is certainly going to entice you at that moment and speak in your ear and send situations and, and signals to say, you know, you were a good Christian, and look at what happened to you. You were faithful, and look at what happened to you. So subtle voices, subtle voices. He's going to entice you. And when, if we look at Jesus' response, he says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, he's dependent on the word, 
since it is written, man does not live. Jesus Christ saying, we do not live on bread alone, but on the word of God. And he used a, a, a passage in the Old Testament, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, where God tempted, or God did not tempt, but he tested the Israelites the same way when he was leading them through the wilderness. And they, he, he led them and they became hungry. And when they became hungry, they started uh, uh, quarreling with God. In Deuteronomy 8, 2, it says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years? For what? It says to humble you and test you in order to, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. It says he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, food from heaven, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He says, Lord was leading you. He was causing these hung, these hung, this hung, hungerness to occur to, to humble you and to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but about every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So it's not important that we just know God's word, but that we live off of his word. And we live off of God's word by obeying it. Will you trust in God to supply all of your needs? Or will you take matters into your own hands? As the devil so much wants you, to, you and I to do. We live off of God's word by trusting in him to provide all our needs, whether we're in the valley or whether we're on the mountaintop. Lord, wherever I am, whatever season I'm going through, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in you to provide all of my needs. So we see one of the methods that Jesus Christ tempt, or was tempted was uh, through the flesh. Uh, and so we also see that a second method in which the, the, the devil tempts us and tempts Jesus was it was aimed at our pride. See how Satan uses Jesus' last response to build his second temptation? If we look at that in, in verse 5 and 6, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Did you see that? I mean, how Satan used Jesus' last response to build his second temptation. And if I paraphrase it, he basically said, okay, since you're living off of God's word, I got God's word for you. This is what God's word says. So I'm going to take you up to the highest point of the temple, and I, and I want you to throw yourself off because God's word in Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12, it says that he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so, they will not, so you will not strike your foot against a stone. So he's saying, that's God's word. He said that. So you're living off God's word. Go ahead and do it. And so you see how crafty the devil is? And so he's trying to get Jesus to lift himself up in pride by testing God. The devil is a liar, and he will use God's word out of context to accomplish his goal. The devil knows God's word, and he's going to use it out of context to accomplish his goal, to entice you to sin. And, you know, what the devil was trying to do, he was trying to get Jesus to test God by acting outside the will of God and using his word to justify it. 
And so I'll give you an example. I mean, sometimes it may seem a bit obvious to us, but how often do we test God? We test God. Uh, the, the testing of God is pride because we put ourselves in a position that only belongs to God. And what does that look like? We, we test God in, in so many different ways. Example, money. I've been there before where uh, you have a certain amount of money and you buy things that you want, not necessarily need. You buy things that you want and then you're a little short before the paycheck comes. It's getting tight. It's, it, you know, you're, you're looking for pennies and everything and couches. You, I mean, it's getting really low. And then we go to God's word and say, I'm trusting in God. He's going to supply all my needs. But the Lord did not, it wasn't his will that we go and buy everything that we wanted to buy. And then say, I'm trusting on God. That's testing God. Because we're acting outside the will of God. And then we're using God's word to justify and to, to, to strong arm God to respond. It's like, okay, good Lord, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to use your word to urge you to help me. When we acted outside of his will to begin with. Now God is faithful. He certainly will help us. He is a forgiving God. But at the same time, we have to be careful to not test God. I don't know how many times I've seen that. I've done it myself where we have put ourselves in some type of situation or circumstance out of acts of disobedience. And then we use the scripture and say, okay, God will help me. He's going he's to do this. And it's like you're, we, we test the Lord because we, we, we indulge in our own disobedience or sinful ways, and then we use God's word to support in, in, in helping us. It's just like if he took Jesus Christ up on the top of the temple, he says, throw your way off. And Jesus Christ is basically telling Satan, Jesus, God did not tell me to, to go up there and to throw myself off. So he's using that, Satan is using that, that scripture out of context. We also test God when we complain of his provisions as the Israelites did while they were in the wilderness. Everything that God gives, everything that we have, God gives it to us. And so many times when we start complaining, guess what? We're complaining to God. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. In Psalm 78, verse 18 through 20, it speaks about that. It says, they willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the desert? When he struck the rock, water gushed out, and streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us food? Can he supply meat for his people? So it never was enough. What they had, they never, there was not never a sense of contentment. So they're always complaining about God's provision, and we test God in that way. When we show a sense of discontentment for how he is providing for us. So we have to be careful not to test the Lord in those two areas. Uh, when, we, when, when God tests us, many times his tests are meant to humble us in some way, to, to, to urge us to depend on him, to keep us from being full of pride, and we can be sure that the devil hates humility, and whatever he can do to lift our hearts up in pride, he will do it. First Peter 5.5, 5, it tells us says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so that should be our goal, that should be our aim, we have to be careful. So we see that uh, one of the methods of, of Satan's temptation is, is aimed at our flesh, 
Another area that he's aiming at is also at our pride. And a third area that he's aiming his temptations at is at our eyes. The devil here raises the bar a bit on this third temptation. And he doesn't even say, if you are the son of God. If you notice in the first two temptations, he says, if you are the son of God. He wasn't questioning whether Jesus Christ was the son of God because he knew. He was just using that to try to get Jesus Christ to entice him to do something and act outside of his will. But this third one, he doesn't do that. What he does, he takes in, in verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he takes Jesus Christ up to a very high mountain and promises to give him all this stuff. Temptations wouldn't be tempting if they weren't appealing to the eyes. That's what makes temptations temptations, right? Because they, they, they're so enticing. He says, but I just can't help it. Well, it's a temptation. It's going to entice. Knowing this, the devil took Jesus up to this high mountain, showed him everything. It says, I will, all of this, it's yours. And then he says, if you will be mine. And that's, that's the devil's trade-off. I'll, I'll give you everything if you will be mine. If you will serve me, if you will worship me, I'll give it to you. The world is Satan's playground, and he uses everything in it to entice, to covet, entice us to covet the material things that, that are around. He's going to use everything. You see everything, you, TVs, 55-inch screen TVs, cars, clothes, houses, everything. It, there's nothing wrong in and of themselves, but when we began to covet those things and desire those things more than we desire the presence of God, then it becomes a problem. It becomes idolatry. And Satan is going to use those things to try to uh, gain our devotion to him, less devotion to God and more devotion to him. And one of the, 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 the things that, that Satan tries, he tries to make us to live, to, to make us think we can't live without some of these things. To make us think that we can't do without these things. Some things that are, that are just optional. If we lose our Bible, it may take us the next Sunday before we realize we lost our Bible. Where is my Bible at? I got to go to church. But you let that cable cut off. We will be on the phone with Insight in a heartbeat. When is it going to be on? How long is it going to take? I need, I got a TV show that's coming on in about an hour. But we lose our Bibles, and it's like, when's the last time I used that Bible? Is there anything in your life that is more important to you than the Lord? If it is, you need to examine it and get rid of it. Anything that is more important to you that you, can't, that you feel like you can't do without, you've got to get rid of it. Because Satan is going to use that. He's going to play on that. If he didn't hit you with the flesh, if he didn't hit you with the pride, you better believe he's going to hit you with the eyes. He says, I, I got him on this one. I got them. We worship what is worth the most to us. We worship what is worth the most to us. That's what worship is. It's worship. 
what is worth the most to you. That is what we give our devotion to. That, what, it, that which means the most to us. And God demands that we worship him and worship him alone. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. It says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And you can put in anything you want to in that spot of money, and it means the same thing. You can't worship God in clothes. You can't worship God in the TV. You can't worship God in this. You can't, you can't do it. You can't serve two masters because there's a conflict. God is drawing you this way, and the other device is drawing you this way. And so we're either going to love one and hate the other or, or be devoted to one and despise the other. I got to study my word, but the game comes on tonight. I got to study my word, but this reality show comes on tonight. So we're either going to love one or hate the other. Don't be enticed by the things of the world, for they are a death trap. They are Satan's trap. And he's got them playing it all around for us to fall into them. Again, nothing wrong with, with material things. I don't want that to be uh, heard. But we have to be careful that those material things do not begin to take the place of God. And we see them as being more important in our lives than the word of God or God himself. Instead of fixing our eyes on the things in this world, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's how we don't, that's how we keep our eyes fixed. You know, Satan's going to tempt us with our eyes, but that's how we keep our eyes fixed in the right position, is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. We know we have our eyes fixed on Christ when the Lord our God has our total devotion and we're serving him and him alone. So we see these three temptations, how the devil aims his temptations at us. But we see that God himself, Jesus Christ, responds with the word in every situation, in every circumstance. And in every time, Satan is going to try to get you and I to act outside the will of God, to depend on ourselves rather than to be, to, to be dependent on God in every situation. And we, we see that these three temptations, there are other temptations that happen, but there was a final temptation Jesus Christ was victorious over, over Satan here because it says, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. And the, the devil left him for just a period. But then he came back. The devil was there when Jesus Christ was getting crucified. That was one of the biggest temptations because when Jesus Christ was on the cross, what did you hear them saying? You said that you, if you destroy this temple, you will raise it again in three days, and you can't even get yourself up off the cross. He says, if you are the Son of God, come down up off the cross. But Jesus Christ wouldn't do it. He wouldn't come down, and he wouldn't fall into that temptation because he knew that victory was near. I'm going to, he said, I'm going to put death, uh, to, I'm going to defeat death. And so he wouldn't come down off that cross and praise God that he did not come down up off that cross. Praise God that he did not fall into that final temptation that Satan had. 
because Satan was certainly giving him everything he had. At first, I think initially Satan was saying, if I can't stop you from going to the cross, I want to make it as painful as possible for you. And then when you get up there, I'm going to tempt you to get down up off the cross. I'm going to work on you until the very last minute. But Jesus Christ did not give up. He hung in there. He hung on the cross. His love held him up there so that he can pay for your salvation and my salvation. Even though he was going through ridicule, he was going through shame, he was going through suffering, he was bruised, he was beaten, even though we, he knew we were going to sin against him and we were going to be rebellious against him in many ways and at many times, he still hung up on that cross even though Satan was tempting him. And praise God for that. By his wounds, we have been healed. By his stripes, you and I have been healed. And because we have been healed, we have been given the Holy Spirit, we have power over the devil's temptations and his schemes. He has given us power. We are no longer slaves to sin as we once were, but slaves to righteousness. Slaves to righteousness. Because we are healed, we don't have to give in to temptation. So I pray that we will, we will remember this particular temptation, this event, and it be encouragement to us to let us know that we don't have to fall into temptation, that God has given us the power to overcome when we are tempted. And let us remember and know the devil's schemes, that he is a liar, that he is a deceiver, that he is going to tempt you at every moment and at every corner. He's going to do everything he can to get you to fall out, out with God. He's going to do everything he can to profane the name of God so that when we are tempted, when we are tempted by others, when we are tempted to do something that is going to look, be, be looked upon um, as shameful, let us be conscious of that. Let us be conscious of that. God has something much better in store than what the devil has to offer. So although that temptation looks tempting, it looks great, it's, 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 it's like, you know, it's a momentary high, but I guarantee you it's going to wear off. And what God has for you is so much better than what the devil has to offer. Let us praise God for our conquering king who gave us victory and showed us how we can also overcome the devil's temptations. Amen? Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, we, we thank you. We thank you for suffering and going through the trials and tribulations that Jesus Christ went through. We thank you, Jesus, for being sympathetic and knowing how we feel. Thank you for being a God who's always there, who's always near, who has given us the strength and the power to overcome in our time of need, to overcome the temptations that come our way. Now, Lord, I pray that you will move in our lives, move in our hearts in such a way, Father God, that we will be more devoted to pleasing you than to pleasing ourselves. Help us, Father God, to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto you. Transform our, our, our thinking, Father God. 
Help us to be mindful of what is going on around us, Lord. Help us to, to watch out for the devil's schemes, Lord, that we may not fall into temptation. And by your grace, we will be kept, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for even though we have fallen into the temptations, Lord, that you are a faithful God. You are faithful to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we thank you, Father God, even when we do fall, that you are a forgiving God, one who forgives us of our, of our iniquities and heals us, Lord, of all of our diseases. And so we thank you. Thank you, Father God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.